So let's pray, and then again, we're going to read from Luke 17, so hopefully you're there. And let's ask God to, to meet with us now. Lord, uh, we come before you recognizing our own frailty and, Lord, seeking to understand from your word how you want us to live in this world. Lord, we look at at your son and and his perfection and and following and, and following through on the ministry that you gave him being obedient even to the point of the cross. And Lord, we seek uh, that same obedience in our own lives. And I pray as we look at your word, as we study uh, today, Lord, let it be your words that are heard. Let your spirit fill this time. And I pray that you would be the one uh, speaking to each one of our hearts, Lord, that we can apply it that we can go home from here and, and do what it is that you're calling us to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to be in uh, Luke 17 today. It's uh, Obviously, we're jumping out of Matthew. Steve's been bringing us through uh, the book of Matthew so well. Um, and so in some senses, a topical message. We're going to talk about servanthood, what it is to be a servant. Um, it's this passage and the, and the verse that we're going to focus on that's on the front of your bulletin is something that kind of was rolling around in my mind last year, uh, many, many months ago. And Steve and I were talking last fall about the next time I might have the ability to share from here and, and preach. Uh, and I, I mentioned, hey, I've got this idea about servanthood. Um, and it's just very interesting that that... None of this was sort of coordinated. The Israel trip came up, and it seemed like a good time uh, to come up here again. Um, And again, it's sort of jumping out of our normal flow, but it's very interesting timing-wise that Luke 17, uh, as we're not going to read these first few verses, but if you've got your Bible there and look, this is a parallel passage to exactly where we are in Matthew 18. There's some differences, um, but uh, Luke 17 starts talking about the offenses that must come. And again, we just studied that. Steve did a great job sharing about um, woe to those who, who bring offense and would cause a little one to stumble. This whole application of rebuking and forgiving, if you are here last, last week, uh, the message on uh, if your brother sins against you and the, and the path for bringing restoration. Uh, I don't know if Luke uh, looked over Matthew's shoulder and said, oh, he did a great job. I'm just going to summarize it in one verse. So he he condenses that, you know, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he, if he asks forgiveness, restore him. And then we come to uh, a verse that, that really takes us a different direction from Matthew. The disciples say, increase our faith. And that's, that's where we're going to begin our reading today in Luke 17, verse 5. Let me just read for you uh, verses 5 through 10. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself, 
and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants, we have done what was our duty to do. And so that last verse is really our focus, so likewise you, that's to us, Jesus has given this this story, this quick picture of a servant and a master. And he says, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what it was our duty to do. Maybe not a, a, a natural verse to kind of pull out as a, you know, let's go encourage, encourage the saints. Let's tell them, you know, you guys are just unprofitable servants. You've just done what, what you've had to do. But I, I think as we come through here and, and try and grasp this picture, I think you'll see that this truly is an encouragement uh, to our faith. So first of all, this, this whole topic of, of being a servant, servanthood, uh, even the term slave, which we'll talk about kind of the words in the New Testament, these are words embedded kind of in our Christian, in our Christian culture. Uh, you know, we come out on a Sunday morning, hey, where are you serving? Where, where are you serving today? Um, we, we have this whole concept that you don't really talk about much in the world. You wouldn't... Um, Unless you're a waiter or waitress, you don't necessarily talk about serving or wh- where are you serving. Secondly, um, you know, so we use the word a lot, but there's also, in in some sense, especially in our culture, um, a bad connotation, a, a bad word associated with slavery. We've got a an ugly history in in our country, uh, necessarily, uh, with the whole concept of slavery being uh, tainted by racial hatred, by bigotry. Um, and so I think we come to that word and we, we have some, some cautions. It's a, it's a weird word to us uh, to think about being a servant or a slave. And in the New Testament, maybe it was uh, not necessarily tied to some of those ugly things. Um, but yet they had their own abuses. Paul talks about uh, if you're a slave and, and you have a harsh master, you still serve as obedient to Christ. Uh, but I think when we come to this word, I think what we'd like to get today and what I'd like to help us see in Luke 17 is really what's the biblical picture of a servant and why, why are we as Christians uh, called to that? And so let's try and clarify uh, our understanding. Let's try and draw a picture today of a biblical servant and, and see where that takes us. So stepping back, before we go into this picture that Jesus gave, the word itself, uh, and again, I'm combining all these words, servant, slave, uh, bond slave, bond servant, service. The, this general collection of words is used over 1,100 times in the Bible. Um, so definitely the topic of being a servant of someone or being a servant of Christ. Jesus called the suffering servant. Um, it's all throughout the Bible. And then focusing in on the New Testament, there are really a couple words that we want to that we want to think about. Doulos is one of the two, two words when we see the word servant or slave in, in the New Testament. Uh, this is Paul's favorite self-reference. When you read a letter of Paul and he says, you know, from Paul, a slave, bondservant of, of Jesus Christ, he's using this term doulos. And it really speaks of just a total dependence on the master. A, a doulos has no power, has no abilities outside of what uh, the master offers him. And so he's totally 
he or she is totally dependent on the master. Um, this word, you know, is used some today. If, if you've ever gone on, on maybe the middle school or the high school retreat to a place called YDI, a retreat center, they have a summer doulos program. That's actually what they call it. And it's a place to learn to serve. It's a place to practice this uh, art of serving. And for two weeks you can go there and your, your goal isn't to have a retreat. It's not to enjoy yourself. It's to serve. The other word we see in the New Testament is diakonos. And obviously the word deacon just comes directly from that. And this is more a practical word. It's just a servant, just someone who serves. And if you remember that story um, where the first deacons are sort of commissioned, it really was a service ministry. There were some complaining about widows not being served appropriately. And the apostles got together and said, we need someone who can just serve so we can uh, focus ourselves on the teaching of the word and prayer. And so they, they picked some, some godly men and they said, you're deacons, you're going to serve. And so in a sense, they, their first role was actually this waiting on tables, waitressing uh, at tables. So that's kind of the framework of the words that, that we're looking at here. And in this particular passage, um, uh, he's speaking of a doulos, a servant or slave, uh, when Jesus speaks to the, um, the apostles. And he, uh, he first uh, says to them, And which of you, in verse 7, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. And so I'm going to pull out just a few, a few things in this picture that, that I think we can sort of itemize in our, in our minds and get this picture of a biblical servant. The first thing we see is that a biblical servant is others first. It's never about the servant's needs. It's never about the slave's needs. It's always about the master. And so the first thing in verse 7, the servant comes in, the servant's been working all day, and yet it's still about the master's needs. It's not time for the servant to eat. And it's not that the servant doesn't have needs. It's not that he's not hungry. But the fact is that the whole role of servanthood is always about others first. Now again, taking uh, verse 8, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. So I think the second thing we want to pull out from this picture is that a servant may be asked to serve beyond sort of the normal expectation. You know, our, in our current culture, um, our work, we tend to fit into a general paradigm or time frame. I've got an 8 to 5 job or a 9 to 5 job. You know, we work all day so we can have some some time to ourselves, but the servant may have to work day and night. Uh, the servant may be hungry, uh, may be tired, but in verse 8 we see that the servant is now asked to serve his master dinner, and after all the master's needs have been met, the servant then can deal with his own needs. In verse 9, Jesus poses this, this other rhetorical question, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And so I think the, the other thing we want to pull from this picture is that serving may be a thankless job. It may not, it may not generate um, uh, an award, 
uh, an outpouring of thanks, yet the servant's obviously been working hard. It's an agrarian society. It's very physical. The effort is, uh, is tiring. And yet, will the master thank him for all that he's done? Apparently, that's not expected because the servant's role is just to serve. And so we come to verse 10 after getting this picture. And we get this message from Jesus to the apostles. So likewise you, just, just as I just expressed in this picture, so likewise you, our Christian servanthood, really, uh, Jesus asks uh, it to fit this picture that we've just seen. And so, uh, a quick summary. You know, others first. Uh, the picture that we're given uh, is one of always thinking about the other. And we're going to look at uh, an, another few verses that, that where Jesus has his focus there as well. But think about the, the ugliness uh, that we've seen in the history of the church from selfishness, self-focus, um, thinking about our needs, uh, the lack of others' first uh, impact that's been, that's been had on the church. Serving even when it's a thankless job. How much does it happen because people know it won't be noticed? How much in the church is done for the notice or, or the desire to be noticed of others. And then finally, this uh, third part of the picture, serve even when we're tired of serving, even when we've already been serving. And I think, uh, you know, for me, one of the biggest applications um, is really along those lines. You know, I, I think we, uh, again, from my perspective as being a husband, Obviously, a wife may have another perspective, but again, in our cultural world, there's this uh, concept, you know, I go off and I work all day and now I come home. And the easy thing is, well, now it's my time, me time. It's time to relax. And even our culture, I think, has given us pictures of that, um, you know, in the media and movies. You know, the dad comes home, plops down, maybe in front of the game, you know, bring me a cold one. Or if you go back to the 50s and 60s, the picture of, you know, the, the proper little family, the dad comes home, sits down in the big easy chair with the evening news and the pipe. Um, and I think Jesus' call to us as, as believers, uh, even within our homes, is, is this idea that I'm always serving. You know, I'm coming home and it's still time to serve. I've, yes, I've given my time at work, but now it's time to, uh, to give time to my family. And so... Again, I think the picture that we've gotten, it's simple. It's, it's not a lot of detail, but it's this, it's this simple concept that others come first. I serve even when thanks or awards don't come, and I serve even when I've already been serving. So I wanted to, to pull out a few examples that, that may help us see that picture more clearly. You know, one, one example... Um, that, that comes to mind lately for me just because I recently read, read this book. Many of you have heard of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great uh, theologian and pastor in Germany during World War, World War II. Um, he was a brilliant theologian, a very godly man. He was part of what was called the Confessing Church, this part of the church that wouldn't buckle under to, to Nazi power or Nazi control of the church. And of course, as time went on, that caused them to have to move away from the structure of the normal church. And uh, he had been a professor at a university in Berlin and 
and was at, at one point was finally told you can no longer teach here. And so he found a, a family living way away from the city that had property and, and some buildings. And he said to some seminarians, some young guys who were wanting to be taught, you know, let's, let's go away to uh, a place called Finkenwald and I'll have a little seminary. We'll, have, we'll, we'll meet in the house um, and, and I'll teach you and, and we'll continue preparing you for ministry to be pastors at this critical time in, in German history. And so Eric Metaxas uh, recently wrote a book that's kind of brought Bonhoeffer back to a lot of people's minds. And I just want to read you uh, a quick paragraph about uh, Bonhoeffer himself and his servant leadership uh, that he quietly showed uh, to his uh, young students. The authority of a servant leader, as opposed to the authoritarianism of a misleader, came from God and was a leadership of serving those below oneself. That was Christ's example to the disciples, and Bonhoeffer strove to lead that way too. Bethke, who was a student, remembered that early on. They had been at Zinkst a few days. Bonhoeffer asked for help in the kitchen. There were no immediate volunteers, so Bonhoeffer locked the door and began to wash the dishes. When others tried to come in and help, he wouldn't unlock the door. He never mentioned a word about it, but the point was made. He wanted to transmit the same culture of selflessness here that had been practiced in his home as a child. So again, you know, quietly serving whatever task, whatever needed to be done. Um, I'm pretty sure he probably never had problems getting help again. Uh, again, in, in that culture, a more uh, strict and rigorous culture, I think there was much embarrassment that the teacher had done what the student should have done. It even reminds me maybe of how Peter uh, might have felt, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, he says to Jesus. Uh, but Jesus says, no, I, I will, I will show you that servant leadership that I want you, you to lead. You know, I think closer to home, um, I know there are many in here who, who serve and serve uh, diligently and, and practice uh, this model. But, um, you know, one, one thing that's impacted me here is our own pastor. He's not here today, so I, I think he, he won't lose his reward if I share, you know, things I see in his life. But it's always struck me as I've gotten to know more and spend time with more outside of, you know, a Sunday morning context. Just how quietly and quickly he goes about serving people. You know, if you eat with him, all of a sudden he's up and he's clearing people's dishes or he's asking who needs another drink. And again, it's not to draw attention. It's not to, to make himself seem like a, a super servant. But I think that, that quiet impact of a, of a life that's been transformed to be a servant like Christ just does those things. It becomes a natural part of who they are. And again, I think they embody this uh, final phrase in, in verse 10, we have only done our duty. It's, it's not about gaining applause. It's not about uh, getting something out of people. Servants serve because of their nature. They're just meant to serve. And so... Uh, I think, you know, a couple, a couple final things in this picture to complete it. Um, service is an extra credit we see from this picture. It's not sort of, you know, a bonus question that you get in your Christian walk. It's not for the saints, for the super spiritual achievers. 
And also, I think we see from this picture, it's not really, it's not an optional. It's not sort of an add-on to our faith. Remember that in verse, uh, in verse 5, the apostle said, increase our faith. And Jesus tells them a story about service after he gives the same, uh, same context of, of faith. A small faith can do mighty things. He then says, and be a servant and serve. So I think, you know, to summarize our picture, to be a Christian is to be called into, into service, to become a servant of Christ. There's no other sort of optional path in, in being a Christian. And so, you know, again, I, I think when we even think of the word Christian, that, that we are followers of Christ. What did Jesus say? I only do what my Father does. What I see my Father do, that I do. And so our key example is Christ himself. And I'd like uh, just to read a few verses from Matthew 20. You don't need to turn there. Just, just listen to these verses. Again, Steve's been talking about how the apostles just kind of have this constant issue of, you know, who's the greatest, these arguments within their little group. And in, in Matthew 20, uh, Jesus is dealing that with that again. And he's pointing them to the Gentiles. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Those who are great in that world, they exercise authority over them. He says, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And here's, I think, the key clincher. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And so there's our picture, Jesus himself as being that servant, not coming to be served, but to serve. And so I think we've gotten this picture. Again, it's a simple picture, uh, not complex, not a lot to it. Uh, Basically, an other-centered view, serving. Um, and, And of course, the question comes, well, then where do I serve? You know, what... Are, are you asking me to, to show up here early to set up? You know, what, what do you mean by service, by being the servant? And, of course, I'd love to stop here and just say, you know, this isn't a servant that, that Steve pulled me, this isn't a sermon that Steve pulled me aside and, and said, hey, you know, while I'm gone, try and rally up the troops. We need some more helpers here. We need teachers over here. You know, this isn't a, this isn't a sermon about this room or, or, or this time on Sunday. This picture of a servant is someone who's always serving. It's, it's a lifestyle. Uh, you've become just as a son of man, not someone looking to be served, but to serve. And so let's, let's think of the picture of just the general body of Christ. It's, it's not even just Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. It's not just this Sunday morning time. You know, that other picture that we're given in the New Testament, that we're like an actual body itself, that each one of us is a part in that body. And you think of the body itself, um, you know, I looked up briefly, I'm sure the medical people in here can correct me if I have anything wrong, but we've got, you know, 600 plus muscles, we have over 200 bones, we've got all these organs, 70 or 80, depending on uh, how you count them. And so there's all these unique parts, you can't, rep- you can't take a bone from here and it doesn't fit over here, and so each, each one of us have a unique role to play in the body of Christ. Again, I'm speaking larger than, 
than just our time here or our fellowship. Um, you know, you are that unique part in your home that doesn't fit anywhere else. What God wants you to do in your home, what God wants to do at your workplace is really a role that, that he's created for you to do. So, you know, really I'm not going to, my goal is not to tell you where to serve primarily. It's not to give you ten reasons or ten ways that you can be a servant. I think that's something between you and God. But I will say, I think something that's, that's impacted me um, is that in the church itself, a lot of times we try and figure out, well, what's my primary gift? What's my primary role? Am I uh, a musician? Am I a, a, a teacher? Do I enjoy being with children? Do I, do I like to, um, to reach out to people? Do I like evangelism? And that's a great thing. It's great to find out you know, what God's wired me to do, what, what he has for me uh, in this world to do. But I think there's a pitfall to be had there of, of thinking of Christian service as my primary role. And I think that's something I even struggle with. You know, it was great to have Nick and, and the team uh, lead the music today and, and allow me to focus on this. Uh, but it's easy for me to think, hey, that's my primary role. Uh, I lead the music team. When I'm done with that, I'm done. You know, I, I've, done, I've done my duty. I've done my service to God. And yes, there's some, there's some sacrifices there of some of my time, uh, coming here, doing some unloading, doing some loading. But that's, that's not the extent of what God's called me to be. When, he's, when he says, serve, it's not just to do some primary role that, that is part of my time. And I think... Um, what we want to garner in our own lives is that idea that God always has something for me to do. And it may be tied to, to what I'm good at. It may be tied to something I'm gifted with. But it doesn't have to be. He's always looking to use me in many, many ways. I think even looking at, at Jesus himself. You know, what if he came and he said to the apostles now, you know, here's, here's the Father's goal for me. He, uh, he wants me to come and die on the cross for the sins of, of everyone in the world. And that's a big job. That's, that's my primary goal. That's my primary role. So you guys are going to have to deal with the crowds and, and the teaching and the healings because I've got to focus on getting ready for this big event. Uh, it's going to be the, the ultimate sacrifice. No, we see Jesus constantly serving even when he was tired. There was a time when he wanted to pull away, and yet he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And so Jesus was one who was always other-centered. I think he embodies this so perfectly. And so my role this morning is really just to encourage us to, to take on that mentality, to take on that role of servant, and hopefully to, to get us all thinking, including me, about how that servanthood transforms all of us, our relationships, this body. And so I, in, in the, the minutes together that we have left, I really had three things that I think we'll see as impacts as we take on and say, I'm a servant, what can I do? Three things that happen in the body at large. First of all, I think selfishness has to go. You know, there, there's just... In the life of a servant, in the life of this story, there's no room for selfishness. There's no room for the servant to come in from the field after a hard day's work and say, 
I'm tired, you know, I'm going to take some time for me. And so really there's, there's naturally a change of perspective that happens when selfishness has to go and all of a sudden our focus is on others. And I think, you know, maybe a good picture of this, um, there's a stagnation that comes from self-focus, right? When it's all about us and me, uh, people that get stuck in those patterns tend to become um, very sort of weary and, and, and worn down and, and you know, the, the grumbling that comes out of that um, can definitely just be, a, be self-consuming. Uh, and I, I had an experience, um, you know, just a month ago, not necessarily with service, but I think it, I think it, it relates and applies and, and has some applicability um, many of you know that some of us have, have gotten into exercise and cycling and then running and, and then we've gotten tricked into actually trying to do triathlons and, and all this, this other stuff that's harder than, than we should be doing. Uh, but the winter months are tough for exercise, right? It's cold outside. Well, it hasn't been that cold till this morning. But, um, you know, your body, you tend to slow down in the winter the holidays come and you're busy. And there was a point a month ago, I just found myself, you know, each day kind of getting up, doing my work and um, going about my business. I was just kind of grumpy. I was just kind of not a fun guy to be around. I, you know, the days were, uh, the days are short. We don't get a lot of sun sometimes. Um, and I just realized, you know, I'm, I'm hardly exercising at all. I'm hardly getting out. I just feel kind of lethargic and uh, and there was a day that I just said, you know, I'm going to get out. It was one of those January days we've had where all of a sudden it's warm and, and sunshine. And I, I, uh, I went out, I, I ran, which is not my, my usual choice would be to get on the bike, but uh, I, I don't love to run that much. But I, I got out and I did it. And I realized as I came back in, I just felt more energetic. I felt better. I felt Oh, hey, where'd the grumpy, grumpy guy go? Um, but, you know, there's that, there's that point of getting our blood flowing that, that generates uh, some energy within us. And I think the same thing happens in our spiritual life. There's a stagnation. There's kind of this lethargy that comes when we're doing nothing other than just sort of coming and, and sitting in a chair and maybe going home and, and being consumed in ourselves and our troubles. And I think when we take on this, this servanthood concept, it really changes our perspective. I, there's this phrase, it's hard to rock the boat when you're busy rowing it. And I think a lot of the pettiness that comes from self-focus, the, the egos, the grumbling, the complaining, all that has to flee when we become other-centered. I thought this verse from... Galatians 6 was, was very useful. If anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. And again, the self-examination. Am I, have I become lethargic in my Christian walk? If I, is the blood no longer flowing? Am I not getting out and doing something? And so I think this concept of, of getting up and getting going and, and having that outward focus 
makes selfishness have to have to flee. Secondly, service, uh, I think, really drives health into the body itself. Again, not just speaking of our personal bodies, but this body gets healthier as we all take on that, that role of a servant. We've talked about each one having a part, the body being made up of all these parts, each one having their unique role. And that's ordained by Christ for the edification of the body. And again, that big word is just building up. And so as people take on their roles, as people do the things they've been called to do, this body actually gets healthier. It gets built up, just like working out builds up your own body. And so if we all actively participate, uh, the body becomes stronger. And conversely, when we're missing body parts, there's a lack of function, there's lack of health. Um, If you'll permit me one more exercise analogy, um, interestingly, just a few weeks ago, a family member uh, forwarded me an article about some research that's been done. Of course, you know, I use some sort of euphemisms. Uh, I, I exercise and it got my blood flowing and I felt more energetic. Uh, but there's researchers who spend their whole time trying to figure out, well, why is that? Why do we feel better? Why do people feel better who are active or more active? Um, and so a research group at a university uh, was looking at a process that um, I spent time trying to figure out how to pronounce this word, and I'm still not sure I have it right, autophagy. So you can look it up on your own and see if I came even close. But it's the process by which your body, your cells actually keep themselves healthy. It's the process by which, in a sense, uh, they become little trash men and take the cell's trash off to the side and, and either burn it as fuel or get rid of it. And so there's this research group that was looking at this process and with mice finally figured out that exercise speeds up the uh, autophagy process, and that that's part of why we feel better with exercise. Uh, if, if that process is working and you exercise, you're cleaning out your body. There, there's, you're bringing more health to your body than you had. And so I think, again, the application to our body is as we all exercise that gifting that God's given us, whatever it is to serve, to, to be active, to be proactive, in looking out, seeing the needs, doing something, then really we're going to see the whole body become healthy. And finally, I think maybe most importantly, as we take on the nature of a servant, as we become uh, given to others, focusing on others, really we all become more like Christ, who took on the form of a servant. And rather then express some thoughts there and and apply things. I thought just reading Philippians 2, 3 through 8, it's the perfect picture of Jesus' servant. Just listen to this as Paul writes. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That picture of Jesus himself, again, I think as we take on servanthood, look at these qualities, no selfish ambition, in humility, valuing others, taking on the very nature of a servant, obedient, obedient even to death. I think we see as we do those things, we become more like Christ, and that's really our goal in our Christian walk is to be like him. And so just you know, a few closing comments. Again, our, I, I think the encouragement is to see these things happen in us, to see selfishness fleeing as we become focused on others, to see the body get healthy, to see us, all of us, become more like Christ. Really, this is hopefully a message of encouragement, not, you know, oh, I, I wish, you know, everyone in here would serve more, or do more things in the church. Uh, we haven't sent our secret usher team out to the parking lot to see who has two-inch balls on their, on their trucks and check off who's towing and who's not. No, this is really, I think, can we all find the love that Jesus has for us and pour that out through service to others? Because it's interesting, you know, verse, verse 10 gives us that picture of duty. And yes, there's definitely duty involved in being a servant. But it's pretty interesting that our servant-master relationship is pretty unique. We have a master who says he loves us dearly. So it's not the role of a harsh master to a servant, but yet we have a loving master. And secondly, we have servants ourselves who are in love with the master. And so while, yes, there's duty in service, the duty really comes from the heart of love and you know, it's a interesting week. Obviously, it's a popular week to talk about love. Uh, Valentine's Day is Tuesday. Guys, you can thank me afterwards if you hadn't remembered that, and now, now you know. But, you know, the ads are out, the flowers, the, the, the jewelers offering their half-price diamonds, the, the special dinners, you know, gift cards for the spa to, to pamper your, your special other. But, you know, I think all these things are our, our Valentine's Day collection of, of events. I think our cultural image of love is, is barely the first millimeter even of love. It, it's skin deep. The, the, all these things can come and go and have nothing, be not rooted in, in deep love. I think the depth of love will be shown uh, in us, serving one another, not just Valentine's Day or the day after the day after. It's, it's year long, the depth of Christ's love for us now being poured back out as we serve him. And so how to apply? I think um, step one is just ask God. It, take, take that introspection like that verse talked about. You know, look at, look at your own work. Don't, don't worry about others. Don't worry about uh, what you see or don't see in others how they're serving, how they aren't serving. We don't see everything. So ask God. Seek Him. Seek seek what He has to say to you about your service. Uh, I know even in just preparing for this, there's so many things that come to my mind about 
my service, how I can improve serving my family, serving my children. But don't stop there. Don't stop with self-introspection or, or thinking about you know, what you are or aren't doing. You know, step out and serve someone. Make it practical. You know, go home today and think about, you know, what's something that's been on my mind? I thought, oh, I could do this for, for so-and-so, but, you know, the weeks come and go and you never do it. Well, here's the week. You can go, go do that thing for someone that you've been thinking about serving or stepping out. Make it practical. Make it, make it real in your life. And I think, you know, what we'll see as a body, again, those, those impacts are, are amazing. Uh, if, if the world saw that depth of love, Jesus said, you know, they'll know you by your love. I think the blessings come as we see that giving spirit, that serving spirit, uh, as the old saying goes, more blessed to give than to receive. Really our goal is to, to get, our, get our blood flowing, get any stagnancy out of your system, and just, just go serve. And I think uh, there's plenty for us to to apply from that, and uh, let's pray and and seek him. Lord, we've come uh, before you today just with a simple few-verse picture of a servant. Not someone with a lot of rights or a lot of capabilities even to do amazing or big things, but just in that role of doing what is our duty to do, you ask us to be like that servant. And so, Lord, I, I pray um, just that you would, you would impact us uh, today, Lord, with that simple picture. That, Lord, we, we constantly, our, our, our flesh deals with selfishness, with self-focus. Lord, help us become other-centered today. <clears throat> help us to serve when when we don't receive a lot of response, when we don't receive a lot of thanks. And help us just to continue serving as you did, Lord, when you were tired, when you were weary. Lord, we know it's not something you're asking us to do in our own strength. You are the one who enables us, who gives us the power, who gives us everything we need. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you'll do in our body as we seek to just follow you in simple service. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys have a song? Yeah, why don't we have why don't we have Nick and the team come up and let's sing a song together and, and then we'll be dismissed. We're a few minutes early, so can't complain. We've got plenty of time. There's nothing to do outside, it's too cold. So why don't you stand and and we'll sing a song and, and be dismissed.